Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. So when you think about traditional fermented foods, let's think of sauerkraut, for example. The first thing that comes to mind is like, yeah, it's a great way to make cabbage soft, but it also involves so much sodium. But you can actually modify even homemade sauerkrauts to make lower salt versions so a baby can have this fermented food safely. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're talking about fermented foods and can babies safely eat fermented foods? We'll talk a little bit about what those foods are, what the potential health benefits are, any safety concerns, drawbacks, and then what foods under the fermented foods umbrellas you know, your baby might benefit from eating. Now, I like to start each of these mini baby led weaning training episodes with a quick story. And today's story is just that I basically went down the biggest rabbit hole on fermented foods in the weaning diet of different cultures around the world. I I don't do this very often, but I felt like I was back in like public health school and reading these like really old World Health Organization documents from the mid 1990s. But it's fascinating how other cultures utilize this food preservation method and have for decades and generations. And sometimes fermented foods kind of get this like hippy dippy, crunchy kind of alternative medicine vibe, I guess is the only way I can describe it. But yet this is actually one of the oldest technologies used for food preservation. It's an incredibly affordable technology and fermented foods have been used in parts of the world where historically refrigeration and other food preservation methods were not available. So let's talk a little bit about fermented foods, what they are, again, who's used them historically some ideas and lists of fermented foods and how you might incorporate them in your baby's weaning diet if you are so inclined and then what to look out for. So with no further ado, fermented foods and can babies safely eat them? So as I mentioned, fermented foods, one of the oldest technologies used for food preservation, okay? And this is the biochemical modification of food products brought about by microorganisms and their enzymes, okay? And Why might you ferment a food? Well, historically, from a food safety standpoint, to make certain perishable items last for a longer period than they might otherwise have lasted when you don't have refrigeration or other food preservation methods. 
So fermentation has been used to enhance properties like tastes of foods, aroma, shelf life, texture, nutritional value. And when we're looking at fermentation on the whole, it's generally at the household level, lactic acid fermentation, this natural process that's brought about by the lactic acid that's already present in the raw foods, or you might have it derived from a starter culture. And we'll talk about some of the different examples of this around the world. But in these like old school World Health Organization reports, like so old that they were like photocopies of like really old printed Word documents, it looked like so you couldn't search anything, so I had to read them. But like, I really enjoyed just reading about some of the different cultures around the world. And for example, in Tanzania, these yeasts that are used to help ferment certain uh, root vegetables. So, for example, cassava or manioc. This is a food staple for people in many developing countries, particularly in most parts of Africa. A very energy dense root crop that is a you know bitter food that could be potentially toxic because of cyanide content, but if you ferment that cassava, it becomes a product that's not only safe to eat, but again, energy dense. And it's a product that's generally introduced in certain parts of Africa to children, usually after age one, and then becomes a major part of the diet. So it's kind of interested, obviously, in the six to 12 month period, as you can imagine, there's not a ton of research that's out there on the benefits or safety or efficacy of these foods. But I just kind of wanted to talk through this idea of fermented foods. So I mentioned particularly in Africa, fermentation of certain foods, like in Tanzania, making, for example, a fermented beverage, which, you know, a lot of alcoholic beverage, alcohol is essentially a product of fermentation. We've got to avoid the alcohol production, of course, some of the undesirable gassiness that can occur. There's some modifications we need to make for infants. But in other parts of the world, for example, meat and wheat and dairy food products have been fermented for generations using lactic acid bacteria and molds and yeasts performed all over the world, Europe, Australia, North America, South America. People on the African continent generally are fermenting root vegetables and milk. In Asia, populations tend to ferment vegetables like soybeans and rice and fish, as well as substrates for the production of lots of different alcoholic beverages like sake and then you know condiments such as fish sauces. Other parts of the world have used it, as I mentioned, for preserving foods. Okay, so it's customary in certain African countries to give infants fermented rice cereals or root crop products. These are alternatives to, again, not having the conventional methods of food preservation like cold storage or alternatively dehydration or canning, etc. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So prior to refrigeration, this was one of the few ways to preserve food. And we're thinking about foods, in case you're like not familiar with you know, different fermented foods, cheese and yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, olives, salami, jerky, even certain types of bread beverages like wine and beer, okay, obviously coffee, hot chocolate. These are all examples of fermented foods, some of which are more appropriate for infants than others. And the process is simply when you ferment the foods, the natural bacteria in those foods, like let's take vegetables, for example, they break down the compounds of those vegetables, it actually makes forms that are a little bit easier to digest. So in that regard, we might be interested in their benefits for infant nutrition. There's two types of fermentation. You can either do it through a brine, okay, which is, of course, often higher in salt. And so one of the primary limitations of offering infants fermented foods is the concern about salt, right? If you've been 
learning about baby led weaning or infant feeding or listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know that we avoid adding salt. So it doesn't mean that all fermented foods are off limits, but certainly those heavily salted brined ones would be less desirable because we don't want babies to be exposed to high levels of excess sodium. So in order to reduce sodium, you can opt for the other option there, fermented foods created through the culture process. So things like yogurt or kefir, sourdough bread, if you're ready to tackle breads, even fermented coconut water once the baby starts consuming more fluids outside of infant milk. We, of course, don't want to displace that all-nutritious breast milk or infant formula that provides the majority of baby's nutrition, especially early on in baby-led weaning. So what sort of foods are fermented? List of foods that might work for baby-led weaning. Kefir is one that's mentioned quite regularly. So kefir is a drink made from fermented cow's milk or goat's milk or sheep's milk. That's kind of a sour taste. So we'll look at some of the benefits of including fermented foods in the infant diet to some degree. And the introduction of sour foods, you know, there's not a ton of foods under the sour food umbrella, but we want to expose baby to a variety of foods and flavors and tastes and textures. And so kefir, um, you can get whole milk. I was just looking up like examples, like just something you could order on Amazon, right? An organic kefir from Amazon that's a full fat milk. So made out of whole milk, right? Because we don't do reduced fat milk products for babies. It's kind of like if you don't, I know a lot of people don't love the taste of regular Greek yogurt or regular yogurt. It's a little sour, but the kefir taste would be kind of like a drinkable yogurt that's a little bit on the sour side. Fermented sweet potatoes is another example. Um, Applesauce to some degree can be fermented and still safe for babies to eat. Sauerkraut is one that comes to mind. I know we had a German au pair who lived with our family for two years, Julia, and she was just recently back visiting and she was like, where's the sauerkraut? And had to go out and get sauerkraut. I forgot she loved to have sauerkraut. I actually found, and people have asked a lot about cabbage. I actually do not have cabbage listed on my 100 first foods list. Sauerkraut is a way to make cabbage soft. However, generally due to the high quantities of sodium in commercial sauerkraut, it's not a food that I've traditionally fed, but I was in my rabbit hole that I went down for preparation on this episode. I found this like another old school recipe, like from the cooking light days, a salt-free sauerkraut recipe from cooking light. So if you are like, you are really experimental in your kitchen, I'm going to share that link in the show notes page for this episode at blwpodcast.com. Just search fermented foods. I'm basically using instead of a lot of salt, a half a teaspoon of celery seeds and half a teaspoon of black pepper, and then using a lot of filtered water because without the sodium, the cabbage isn't going to release as much liquid. It's kind of a pretty cool recipe. So potential health benefits of these fermented foods. Okay. There is in looking through the research. And again, I'll link all of these research articles in the show notes for you. If you're interested, there's the thought that they said fermented foods may help relieve GI discomforts. Okay. Um, in particular, there's been a fair amount of research done on the use of fermented foods for the alleviation of diarrheal disease. Okay. And this is primarily in the developing world where diarrheal disease still remains the number one killer of infants worldwide. And a lot of times that's due to contaminated water and other pathogens in the food supply. So in place of oral rehydration solution, which is oftentimes used to help restore electrolyte balance and health in severely dehydrated children suffering from diarrheal disease, the potential of fermented foods is there. But again, there's limited available evidence to suggest that it's like going to be a primary way to treat diarrheal disease. Okay. Digestive ease. There is this notion that with the fermented foods, carbohydrate digestibility improves. So there's these certain oligosaccharides, which are these huge sugars that we find in certain starchy foods. For example, prevalent in things like legumes. Like if you've ever had like lentils or kidney beans or lots of dried peas and beans and you had a ton of gas after, it's because as humans, we do have more difficulty digesting these extra, extra big 
sugar molecules. And so the fermentation process can actually improve the digestive capacity. Okay. Now um, we know that these foods are safe for babies to eat as well, provided that they're cooked, right? We never serve like undercooked or uncooked legumes to babies. Um, there's also compounds in foods like tannins and phytates found in whole grains and teas that are known to be inhibitors to iron absorption. So the thought is that with fermentation, um, some of the protein digestibility improves and that also can improve the, the human body's ability to absorb iron from those foods. Although again, like there aren't specific studies that have been done in infants. Um, there's the potential destruction of parasites during fermentation. So there's food safety concerns. Um, and then there's a whole body of literature looking at the benefits that these fermented foods can promote gut health, okay, in your gut microbiome and your microbiota. And um, we actually had a really, really cool episode that I did about the microbiome and food allergy development. Um, Liam Omani from Ireland was on. He's a leading expert in the microbiome area. And he was talking in episode 202. It's called Gut Check, Microbiome and Food Allergy Development with Liam Omani, talking a little bit about this relationship about the development of the microbiome in infants. If you're interested in that, go listen to that. And then also back in episode 108, um, we did a whole interview about probiotics and should your baby be taking probiotics? I had James and Dahlia Marin, who are a registered dietitian, husband, wife team from Married to Health. They do all gut health and they came on to talk about pros and cons of probiotic use in infants. So that's another episode to check out. And that's number 108. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So back to the potential benefits of these, it does extend to the baby's microbiome. And again, probably the area I would say where the most research is being done. I found a pretty cool guidance document for fermented food guidelines for children. I'll share that in the show notes. If you're interested, if you are a home cook or a fermented food experimenter in your home kitchen and you want to be trying out some of these recipes with your baby, I think one of the benefits of these foods is the flavor development option, right? This opportunity to offer sour foods, right? The notion that offering children a variety of foods, especially early on in that flavor window, broadens their palates and Sour is an important flavor that we don't always have the opportunity to introduce baby to. So I was looking at one research study that was kind of saying, trying to say outright that using fermented foods with that sour flavor can reduce the baby's affinity for sweet flavors later on. But then when you kind of dig down into the research and see what citations they're citing there, 
it was a study that was looking at like obese adult men. And I'm not exactly sure that it extrapolates to infants. Like, is there a primary reason to offer these foods so that your baby doesn't like sweet foods down the road? I think we look at the benefits of trying lots of different flavors, including sour foods and fermented foods can let us do that. So as far as drawbacks go, um, there are definitely types of toxic compounds that have been identified in certain fermented dairy products. Some mycotoxin produced by different like fermented mushrooms and other vegetables. As far as food safety goes, it's not going to undo if there's any contamination. Fermenting the food is not going to undo the potential harm there. So we still need to take basic food safety precautions when preparing these foods. If you're making them at home, like washing your produce and washing your hands, cutting your you know utensils and the fresher the vegetables, food scientists agree, the better. Um, and there's a lot of information out there about food safety for you know, preparing fermented foods properly at home. And I know some people are, I used to teach in the nurse practitioner program at UC San Francisco. And I remember one year we would have this uh, multicultural potluck where you would bring in, I was teaching a cultural foods class and you would bring in a dish from a food culture from around the world. And we would do this potluck, which sounds insane, like in the post COVID era that you just used to eat like random foods that people in your class brought in. But I remember this one student was like a fermented foods guru. And she brought like every book and she was all about the fermented foods. Like it was definitely her thing. And she was kind of extolling all the benefits. And there is, you know, a little bit of research to um, support this, but certainly some concerns about food safety. Um, there is the potential for botulism. Okay. So the World Health Organization cautions and reminds us that homemade canned and preserved or fermented foodstuffs are a common source of foodborne botulism and their preparation does require extra caution. So in the event that you're sourcing some fermented foods from your babies, what are some foods that would work for baby led weaning? Okay. I mentioned kefir. Um, that drink made from fermented milk of cows, goats, or sheep. Um, like you can get coconut kefir out there if you don't do dairy products. Fermented sweet potatoes. There's actually some pretty cool recipes for making those with minimal amounts of sodium. Um, this salt-free sauerkraut, if you are so inclined. Um, the list kind of goes on and on. I have historically kind of tended away from some of the more traditional fermented foods like sauerkraut because of the sodium levels. But I would be interested to hear from you guys if you're doing any fermented foods for your babies, why you're doing it for the perceived health benefits, what safety precautions if, do you recommend if you're doing this in your own home kitchen? And then what sort of foods are you fermenting that your baby can't eat? I think there are some limited benefits, but really when you look deep down in the research, it's kind of saying across the board, especially for infants, there's no like blanket, do not do this or yes, definitely do this. It's kind of do this if you think it fits into the way that your family eats, if these are your cultural foods, if this is something you want to explore. But is it kind of a, you know, one size fits all and all babies are going to have better gut health if they try these fermented foods? No, certainly the data is not there to support that. So I'll link to all the resources that I shared in this episode on the podcast show notes, which you can find at blwpodcast.com slash 267. Thanks for hanging out to talk about fermented foods for babies. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.